Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Uh, thank you so much again. Uh, it's a wonderful privilege to be here this morning and to see you guys again after a short time that I was uh, with you. Uh, the last time I was here, I, uh, I, we, we read through the book of Jeremiah, especially verse 38. And if you recall, God had sent Jeremiah uh, to give warning after warning to his people, to the city of Jerusalem and to the people of Judah, and he was telling them of the oncoming destruction of the Babylonian army and King Nebuchadnezzar. And this was not the first time that the Babylonians had invaded and attacked. This was going to be the second time that they were going to do it. And the ruling king at that time, King Zedekiah, um, he didn't listen to God's voice. He uh, chose to ignore the counsel of Jeremiah, and instead he feared his nobles. He feared his image and how he would look before his royalty, and so he decided to, to fight against the Babylonian king, and it didn't end well. Um, unfortunately, his children um, suffered, and his kingdom, and the people in his kingdom suffered. And this is really an example of how uh, one person's sin impacted an entire community. And, and that just tells you how powerful sin is. It's very pervasive, it's very malicious, it spreads quickly, and um, it's a very real power that we, by ourselves, are unable to fight against it. Uh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> All right, thank you, that sounds better. Um, so, where was I? I lost my thought. Um, but, and then what, what you see ex exactly with Jeremiah is that he's an eyewitness to all the suffering that the people went through, and he reaccounts it. In the book of Lamentations, I read for you a passage of scripture of the things, the horrors that he sees because of this one poor choice of this one leader to submit to the authority of God's word. Um, but today, this morning, what I want to do is I want us to go back to the very first proclamation that Jeremiah makes to the city of Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. And this is even before anyone attacked the city. Uh, this is God just coming in out of his mercy, bringing this warning and this coming judgment to the people. And what's interesting is when you read this passage of scripture that we're gonna look at today, it doesn't read like a decree that a king would give to his subjects. It doesn't read like a decree or a command that a master would give to his servant. No, it actually reads like a heartbroken husband sitting in the counseling room expressing his pain over the betrayal and unfaithfulness of his wife. And God is exposing his heart to his people. And he's sharing them 
sharing with them this emotion because they can relate to it. They can understand what betrayal looks like. They can understand what uh, being deceived, uh, you know, just being cheated on. And he takes this idea of covenant relationship and he's describing it to a marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. And so let's read Jeremiah chapter 2 together and then we'll go into the specific verses. So Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, we'll start from verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse 13. And so this is what he says. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far away from me and went after worthless and became worthlessness? Sorry, went after worthlessness and became worthless. They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt? who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after the things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coastlands of Cyprus and see or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation exchanged its God even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is the word of God. So God begins in verse 2 and 3, and he reminds the people of Israel their devotion and their fidelity to him. How as a young bride in love would follow her husband wherever she would go, he would go, Israel would follow God wherever uh, he went. And in this case, bride Israel followed God into the wilderness for her honeymoon. And in the process, she was sanctified and made holy. See, God would be showing and putting his bride on display for the nations to see. He would show his investment in her and his power through her. This once former slave nation of Egypt all of a sudden started disposing other nations much stronger than itself. And so God was making a statement. He was saying, this is my bride, and I'm taking full responsibility for her. See, no one is going to be able to care for a nation in the wilderness, but God is saying, if I'm your husband, I'm going to look after you, and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to nurture for you. I'm going to care for you. Nobody got sick as part of this community when they were in the wilderness. And God goes on to say that anybody who does you wrong, I will fight them. 
I will go after them. Whether it be the Egyptians, whether it be the Amorites, the Moabites, the Philistines, you name it, whoever. What God was saying is, we had such an intimate time together. This is how it began, our love as husband and wife. And this is the history that I'm reminding you where it all began. And then in verse 4, picture the scene of a husband looking across to his spouse and God looking to his people and, and turning around and saying, well, if we are in a marriage covenant, how did I break this marriage covenant? How did I fail you? What wrong did I do that made you turn away from me and go after chasing other gods? Tell me what my fault is. Show me the thing that I did wrong. And if I didn't, then it makes me beg the question, what were you doing? Right? He's, he's trying to get them to realize and to think for themselves. And he says, you have become like the very thing that you chased after, worthless. See, the nation of Israel, you have to understand, to this day, they are nobody if they have no relationship with God. Okay? They're just going to be some other country in the Middle East that nobody would care about. But it's only because of this priceless relationship with God that they have value and richness and identity to this very day. That the Gentile nations of the world still put their focus and attention on this, this country that was born in one day in 1948. And so God is bringing this back to their remembrance and saying, look, this is how we started our, our love together. You were so faithful to me, and we were in a covenant, and I didn't do anything wrong. Why did you do this? You know, Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 6, 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so God looks to his people, and he says, you didn't treasure me. I wasn't the number one person in your life. In fact, your actions have exposed the very thing that you have esteemed. It's shown that I'm not important to you. So this morning, I just want us to pause and I just want us to ask, you know, just to reflect on our own lives and ask, you know, is there anything that we're engaged in, engaged in that's devaluing us? You know, um, are there choices that you've made that is defiling your heritage as a child of God? Because the children of Israel, they had a guilty conscience because they knew what they were doing was wrong. And it, it prevented them from having an intimate relationship with God. And maybe there's, that's some of you this morning. There's something that you are pursuing and you are engaging in that is you know, distracting you, that is keeping you away from this intimate relationship with God. See, Israel's history was full of idolatry. It's an old sin. Right? There's nothing new for them. Um, they're, you know, it's, it's a very commonplace. Uh, there's a reason why God calls the nation of Israel a stiff-necked nation. Um, but what he's doing in verse 6, um, he says this, um, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, See, what he's saying in, in, in verse 6 is he's saying this, listen, was there no sobriety in any of you to stop and recount the lessons that you learned from the past? 
Do you think you came to this land of abundance just because it was handed down to you? Have you forgotten the ordeal and the trials and the hardships that you had faced and your generations and your ancestors had faced to actually come to this place, to this good land which I've given to you? Have you forgotten the manifestation of my power to actually bring this about to you? We ordealed, we went through this ordeal together. It wasn't easy. It wasn't just given to you. You didn't just walk into this land and take all this abundance and enjoy it as if you, know, you were born into wealth. You had to fight for it. And so you know, this morning, when sin is so enticing and so alluring, one of the things that you know, God has taught me is to, to stop and reaccount his goodness and his faithfulness. He, he's taught me to go back and think about those days when you know, I would be weeping before him because I didn't have an answer to a prayer that I was asking for. or There was some hardship in my, my life and, and I was looking for comfort and only God in that moment of darkness could comfort me and you know, and he consoled me and he brought me out and he, br- he, he brought me to a place of peace. And I could look back and I could remember and I say, wow, we've been through that together, me and God. And when I think back to that, I, you know, the emotions that get stirred up, I look at the temptation and I say, is it worth it for me to indulge in this thing and forsake all that I've been through with God? Can I really turn my back on him after all that he's done in answering my prayers with such precision and detail like no one else could have done it if it wasn't for him? And so what God is asking the people is that, have you counted the cost of what you are doing? Of what you've been through? Of what you suffered? That you're just willing to walk away from it and treat it like, you know, it's, it's no big deal? Like, this is what he's asking them. So, verse, verse 7 kind of reads like a husband, you know, looking across and, and, and looking at his spouse, and he's saying, let me read for you. It's kind of, I don't know, I find it kind of comical, but uh, I want to be serious about it. So he says, I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. For me, the picture that I get is a, you know, is, is the husband looking at his spouse and saying, listen, you didn't come from a very good family or background and your pedigree wasn't that great. Uh, you were poor and lowly and you married into class when you married me. You became royalty when you married me, but, but you still act like you're a beggar, right? I brought you out of the ghetto, but you act like you still belong there. That's what he's saying here. You know, my dad always, being the son of a first-generation immigrant, um, he'll always, you know, have those moments when he needs to drop this, uh, this thought and this line. He says, "Don't forget what you, me and my my mom, my 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 wife have been through, the sacrifices that we made to get you guys to where you are here today in life. You're enjoying the benefits because we struggled for you. So don't forget that." when you're enjoying the good things that's before you today. And it's very sobering to, to really consider those things in, in, in reality, in life, because it's true. 
But the New Testament also goes back and brings us to that remembrance as children of God. And, and I want to read this for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is, what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in his presence. See, when God rescued Israel, he even told them before they went into the promised land, it's nothing special about you. It's because you are the lowest of all the nations in the world that I chose you to make a name for myself so that other people will know and question and ask, who is this God that they have come to believe in? Because, man, they really are doing something amazing. And that's the exact same thing that scripture is telling us. Have we, in a church, we have to ask ourselves, have we forgotten the pit from which God rescued us? Have we forgotten our spiritual bankruptcy in our life before Christ? Because pride often will get us to that place to forget and to neglect the Lord. Because we're so content with the things that is being before our eyes that we forget from where we came. And God is bringing that to, his, to their remembrance. He's saying, you don't, don't you remember your past? Don't you remember where you came from? Don't you remember what it was like for you? How could you have forgotten? Then in verse eight, he goes, the priest do not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law do not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after the things that do not profit. So what he's saying in verse 8, he's saying this. He's saying, your leadership and the people that I've appointed you as guardians to safeguard you from doing something stupid and foolish and continuing to walk in the way of sin and ignorance, well, those very people are the ones indulging in the sin with you. Instead of stopping you, they've jumped on the bandwagon and are continuing full throttle and don't even care. You know, at one time in your history, there was a man named Moses who said, Ah, God, I will not go anywhere unless your presence goes with me. I'm not taking these two million people to be their leader apart from you. But here you have an entire nation filled with priests and prophets who are saying, Ah, God, he's not here. No big deal. Let's just do our own thing. And so this morning, church, you know, God uses human agency to bring warning as an act of mercy to redirect us have we, you know, is there, is there a time when you have turned a deaf ear to the counsel that God has brought to you by people in your life? And these are people that God is leading them to say hard truths to you, to your face, knowing that they're going to offend you, knowing that perhaps they're going to lose you as a friend, but they're doing it because they love you, but they love God more. And Jeremiah is the person who's going to get the brunt of it. He's starting out with this plea, but you keep reading through the book of Jeremiah, the things that he's going to say, he's going to anger people. He's going to be crying and weeping, and he's going to plead and say, God, I'm alone in this. Everybody is standing up against me, but I'm only trying to tell them the truth and warn them. And so Jeremiah faces rejection. He faces threats, death threats, for speaking the truth. But have we forsaken the counsel of God because we don't want to hear it? 
God is sending people today. Perhaps God is sending people into your life telling you, you got to stop what you're doing because it's going to not end well for you. That's the mercy of God. That's the safety trigger that God is giving to you saying, hey, stop before you screw it up and your life is going to be irreversible. See, this is, this is an act of mercy on God's behalf for this nation. He doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to remind them. He could have just executed the covenant which he said, when you disobey, judgment. But he's not doing that. And he doesn't do that for us too. Right? Isn't that, isn't that the most amazing thing? Like we still go headlong in our sin and before we're actually caught with it in such a terrible manner, God is coming and saying, convicting us through the Holy Spirit, turn, turn, don't go down that road. It's only going to lead to more misery. Verse 9. I don't know about verse 9. Verse 9 sounds like, you know, a very jaded husband. And he's like, listen, we're going to be separating, and I'm not paying for child support. That's what verse 9 reads like to me. Okay? That's what it looks like. He says, therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children. Listen, we are going our separate ways, and I am not looking after you guys. But what he's saying is, you're enjoying the abundance of this land because I have given it to you, but I'm not going to care for you or your children anymore because you guys are doing whatever you want. And that was not the agreement. And so you could see here the argument in this monologue, God is building up a crescendo of, of his reasoning, of his empathy, of his own heart being exposed on the table to his people. And then now all of a sudden it shifts from, from being emphatic to expressing anger. Okay, he's, he's becoming angry now. And you can see that anger when he, he turns around in, in, um, in verse 10 and 11, he's saying, Call the witnesses and let them see what has happened between us. Let heaven see and let the entire nation see that this is so unimaginable that an entire nation would forsake their own God. And I'm not just any God. I am the very thing that gives them identity and value and glory. Without me, they're worthless so he's, he's calling a witness and he's saying, let the witness see that when things unfold as they will, you can't point finger at me and say I was at fault. This is what God's doing. So you just imagine the counseling room, how this un- would un- unfold. So finally, in verse 13, he, he comes to really laying out Israel's sin. And he's indicting them. And he's saying two things. One, he's saying, you've forsaken the fountain of living water. Now, you have to understand, water, water rejuvenates, water refreshes us, water sustains us. And for people in this part of the world, finding a well of fresh water is like finding a gold mine. Uh, you just don't part way with it. You fight for it. You protect it. And what God is saying is that these people are willing to walk away from a fountain of living water. Right? Who does that? Common sense. Like if you're living everyday life in this uh, country, why would you do that? You're going to die without water. And so he's making that same imagery and he's, he's being explicit. He's saying, you're walking away from a fountain that is perpetually giving to you, sustaining you life for what? 
You know, Jesus made the same statement to the woman at the well. He said, if you ask of me, you could have drank of living waters so that you would never thirst. You would never be, your soul would not be longing for something that can never satisfy because God would himself be the perpetual filler of your soul. And he's telling them, you're going to die without me. I am your living water. You're going to die without me. The second thing he says is, what are you exchanging me? What, what's your alternative? A fountain that continually gives you water versus what? Going and making an assistant for yourself and then laboring to go and find water somewhere else and just regular water. That's what he's saying. This is, this is the mindset that he's, he's exposing. He's saying, these people have come to a place where they're pretty much saying, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need God, and I don't need him to fill, fulfill my needs or my desires. That's, that's what he's saying here. And so God summarizes their heart, and he, he says in the end of this chapter, he says, this is the real condition of their heart. They have no fear of God in them. And what that means is they don't know him intimately. They don't know him personally. They do not understand the depths of his riches. They have not labored to delight in God. They have not worked hard to discover him and to enjoy him. Instead, they're laboring for something else. And that's a warning to all of us. Because if we're not doing the hard work of seeking after that intimacy with God, our Christianity is very superficial. And, you know, it's, it's the idea of leaving a gold mine to go and look after, look, find fool's gold somewhere else. That's the imagery that he's giving. People are, you know, you're, you're forfeiting something that is so rich and invaluable for something so worthless. And so that's a danger, and that's a warning to all of us, even in our walk, that we don't take our relationship and our intimacy with God for granted, that we also find ourselves like these people, chasing after things that will never satisfy us. So, with that, let me close in prayer and ask the Lord to minister to us in really exposing our hearts to what needs to change, what decisions we need to make to actually pursue a relationship with God, to labor and work hard to know him. Father, we, we ask you by the counsel of your Holy Spirit this morning to make straight our path to the presence of Christ, to know the riches and the glory that is in the person of Jesus Christ to whom you have called us to that we will pursue a life of devotion, Lord, a life of, of desire to, to know you and to enjoy you in your holy presence. I pray that you will give that desire in us, a heart that longs for God. Even as David said, I pant for the living God. I pray that for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.